welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Thank you so much. Welcome to Sunday evening worship here. I want to call attention for our internet people as well. If you're watching, you want a bulletin right now. So you've got time right now. If you need to run to the Welcome Center, run to the side to grab a bulletin because you can send the children to go get a bulletin because you'll want to be able to follow along right here because I'm going to mention some things. Tonight's message is one that I think is very educational for us as Christians because we live in a, I believe this is a Christian nation, maybe not so much majority Christian nation and Bible-believing Christians, but we are Christian nation as a heritage um, our, our, the religious founding of our nation. Now, just because we might have that heritage now, as I've s- shared in the past, does not mean we will always have that heritage in the future. So tonight we're going to be looking at comparing what, what separates Christianity from all the other world religions. Particularly, I'm going to focus on two this evening, and it's going to be Buddhism and Islam, which is uh, what Muslims would believe. Uh, Muhammad would be there with Islam, and Buddha would be there with um, uh, Buddhism. But if you look at the history of the world in all the different world religions, there's really five. Now, some people will argue that there's actually millions and millions, but really you're going to find five, five major world religions. And as you know, we are Christians, and so we are obviously out of one of those. But I'm going to give you a brief history of these. Uh, Go go ahead and turn in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at two different places here in your scripture this evening. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're also going to be in our Bibles in John chapter 11. Those are going to be our two scriptures this evening we'll be looking at. But the history of world religions, this is part of our sermon series here on maybe things you think about, things you always wonder about, but for whatever reason, you don't ask. And the and, and reason I'm telling you this is because I'll give you some statistics on just a changing demographic here in America. Just take, for example, Islam. Because Islam is in, on the rise, on the increase here in our country. Now, that might be because of immigration. That might be for, not necessarily for um, people turning to Islam, but it just uh, people are being born into Muslim families. A lot of times Muslim families are very large, so you just might have a higher population, uh, more children with that. But if, uh, let's see, it's 2020, two years ago, roughly one out of 100 people in America were Muslim. One out of 100. All right, it's 2022. Let's fast forward eight years from now. That would be 2030. So in a 10-year period, that would then increase all of a sudden to 1 out of 50. So you can see that is a substantial increase. Now, it might not be huge, but I want you to know if 1 out of 50 people in this country are Muslim, folks here are going to notice that. So that will be coming up the next 8 years from now. So... I share that because that is an increase we see. All right, the first world religion in the history of mankind is Judaism, and that started with Abraham. That was the very first religion 
Judaism of the five major ones, it has the least of all the adherents today. But Judaism is important because Christianity is an offshoot of Judaism, and ultimately Islam even comes out somewhat of Judaism. Uh, the, uh, some of the beliefs there that um, Muhammad would certainly teach. The second world religion, there's two tracks in the world. There's what we would call the Eastern and the Western mindset. And in the Eastern mindset, the oldest Eastern religion, when I call East, I'm talking about China, India, that whole region in Asia, where the Olympics are going on right now, would be in the East. We live in the West. The West would be the Americas. It would be Europe. So you look at the Easter, the ma major Eastern religion. It began about 5,000 years ago in the year 3000 BC. That would be Hinduism. Hinduism, Phil, is there a problem? Oh, okay. So just make sure my microphone was working. So with that, so um, make sure online folks there can know. Hinduism, it is a, it's com completely different from our mindset because Hinduism, out of Hinduism, an offshoot of Buddhism. Hinduism is a pantheistic, meaning they believe in multiple gods. And what you are ultimately doing, it's a cycle of re reincarnation and, re and rebirth. That's what's occurring in Hinduism. It began in India as well as Actually, Buddhism began in northern India in Nepal. That's where it came out of. So the third, that would be those two religions right there, Judaism and Hinduism, much of the rest, the remaining, part, remaining religions are going to come out of those two. The Eastern religion will come from Hinduism. The Western religions are going to come out of Judaism. That's the two major different beliefs in that. Judaism believes in what we call a monotheistic God. That means there's one God. We believe in one God. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God. In Hinduism, the religions of the East, it would, it, it's more of a pantheistic, actually Buddhism is an atheistic religion, and they believe in multiple deities, thousands, millions of deities. And you're trying to break, break from this idea of reincarnation and as well as break the cycle of what they would call suffering with that. So those are where our major world religions are going to be rooted in. So tracing the remaining three major religions, the next one to come on the scene Buddha, and I actually have a picture of Buddha here. Did y'all, the sound team, did y'all get the picture of Buddha? I emailed y'all. Um, Buddhism came around between 5 and 600 BC, so about 2,500 years ago. Buddhism, as I stated, is an offshoot of Hinduism. Buddhism is very similar to Hinduism, but it's a little different because. Hinduism believes in multiple gods. There's Buddha right there. Um, if you go in someone's home and you see that statue, a lot of times there are candles around that, that would represent their Buddhists. That's a picture of Buddha. Buddha was a monk who lived in northern India and Nepal, that region back then. 
And his goal in his teachings was to break away from suffering. And, he, and we're going to get into it. He teaches that we're in this life cycle of suffering. And we're trying to break away from it. That's the, that's the mindset of the entire Eastern religions. You've got to break away from the suffering that you're in. Western religions, the West, we realize we are sinners and we have to receive redemption from our sin. That's what we see in Judaism. That's what we see in the Garden of Eden. So these are two vast contrasts between these religions. And when you talk to a Hindu or a Buddhist, you have to really understand they're coming, their, their greatest need is not sin. Their greatest need is breaking this cycle of suffering and pain that their people are constantly in. Whereas for us, we look at the worldview so we need to break away and receive forgiveness from indwelling and ongoing sin. That's why so many sermons, so many Christian sermons, what do they preach against? Sin. Because that is what's separating us from God. So, this, this is why tonight's going to be so helpful for you. It really helps understand a contrast. Because when you meet someone who's a different religion, you just figure out which category they're in. These five, you've got them. You've got them nailed. You know the worldview they're going to come to you from. And you can actually share the gospel about that, knowing they're going to, they're, they're going to approach things slightly different. So Buddhism broke off from Hinduism, and that was about 500 B.C. The next world religion that came along was Christianity, obviously with Jesus, and that was in zero. And then after that, 600 years later, then came Islam. Islam was started. It was a, Muhammad was a nomad, and he basically took a mixture of Christianity and Judaism and created his own religion there in Saudi Arabia. That's where he's from, Muhammad. And that is, it's a, uh, he would claim it's a, it's a monotheistic religion. But I think we're going to see here that the God, of, the God of Muslims is not the same God that we read about in the Bible. It's a different God. Those are your five, and that, that would have been about 1,400 years ago with Islam. Those are your five world religions right there. You, know, you understand those five, and you can pretty much categorize everyone. For, for us here in Lexington, for most people we're going to meet, we might meet some Jews, and we might meet, if you meet someone from India, there's a high likelihood they could be Hindu. But a lot of times, you will meet Muslims. Islam is a growing religion throughout the world. There's a lot of Muslims. It's good, and as I stated earlier, soon in 8 and 10 years, 1 out of 50 folks in this country are going to be Muslim. Islam is in the news all the time. There are terrorists that do things, as we all know, in the name of Allah. But not only that, we will also meet Buddhist. Buddhists, unfortunately, Buddhist, Buddhism is what I call the Hollywood religion. It's very popular and cool with celebrities. Zen Buddhism is, is, is trendy, of course. Buddhism is 
something you might meet when you meet someone from maybe uh, Thailand, uh, Japan, a lot of Chinese people are Buddhists, Korea, Koreans are Buddhists frequently, a lot of Koreans are also Christians, but this is an Eastern religion that is alive and well, and it's very popular and common. Very, very well-educated people have fallen into um, Buddhism. It's, it's very, very trendy to be a Buddhist, uh, that being said. So then we have to say, how do we as Christians, when we meet these people who are Buddhist, and we meet people here who are maybe not just Buddhist, but they're also Muslim, how do we relate to them? How do we uh, connect with them? With that being said... So we're going to see here what separates us from these other world religions. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 3 and 4. And I'm going to tell you all the answer to this. The answer is actually the resurrection. Folks, that is what sets Christianity apart. This is what makes us knowing for a fact that when we pass away, we have the assurance that we are going to heaven. Look what Paul writes, or Peter writes here. This is about the hope that we have. And we claim this hope. Other, other religions cannot say this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There it is. This is what we have received. We as believers have received a new birth, a resurrection, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. God is telling us that our hope is actually it's something that we do not give up. We do not, it doesn't die out. It's something we cling to. So when you take all these five major world religions and then you match Christianity right there with them, what sets it apart? Jesus is alive. This is why Easter is so important. This is why remembering Jesus' death and His resurrection is imperative in our walk with Christ. So that. So let's take a look here at Buddhist. So when you, you meet someone who's a Buddhist, and how do we as Christians, how would we witness to them? How would we differentiate our faith versus their faith? Buddhism, the goal of it is to break out of this cycle of suffering. This, the cycle of suffering, this is where your little handout, I, I put it in there, it's this endless cycle. You're born... You die, and then you experience rebirth. And this constant cycle, a Buddhist would believe, born, die, rebirth. They would call that the problem. That's the cycle that <coughs> you find yourself in, and you need to be delivered from it. Now, they do not know who you were in your past. They have no idea. But they just think this is someone's cycle of life. And well, how do we respond to this? They, they would claim 
When you break out of this, that is what they call nirvana. Nirvana is achieving how to break free from this cycle of rebirth that people are constantly in. So what happens is when we see people like Buddha, there, that little statue, put the little statue or little statue there of Buddha up on there. Buddha is meditating and he's, he's searching inward. He's searching within his soul, supposedly, to find hope to break that cycle. <coughs> what, for how we would respond to that. So if there was a Buddhist sitting on that pew right there, we would kindly say, you don't ever argue with anybody into Christianity. No one's going to get saved at school if they're a Buddhist, and you can argue them into the faith. What you want to be able to tell them is you want to say, sir, ma'am, you don't have to focus on breaking this internal cycle within you. The problem isn't suffering. The problem is sin. You're a sinner, and Jesus came to remove and to forgive and to heal you of that sin. Do y'all see the difference? Our answer is Jesus heals them from their cycle, their problem, their suffering. (coughs) Their answer, a Buddha says, no, I've got to find it internally and do it myself. Totally different worldview. Ours is Jesus and external. Theirs is internal. It's a self-discovery process. And that's why they have like a four-path four fold to uh, healing. Uh, and then they have an eight-path. They have all these steps here you can take. And basically all it does is look within you to find hope for that, this cycle of suffering. And I'll tell you, this is what, this same cycle is similar to what Uh, Hindus would believe too. So a Buddhist in a Hindu worship service is not like a worship service here. Our audience is God. Their worship service is meditation. You're coming, and for a Hindu, they're making an offering to the thousands of gods out there, whichever god they would choose. Totally, totally different mindset with this. So, I actually put, I have up on the screen, the two different worldviews here. I've got this up here on the screen. Because when you meet someone who's from the Eastern worldview, this would be your Buddhist. You meet someone from China, from Japan, from Vietnam. The Eastern worldview, what you would find in Asia, is what you would call an honor-shame mindset. Let me explain that. An honor-shame mindset means... This is why it is so um, important that you make sure in the Eastern mindset, for maybe people from Japan or China, that you show great respect to your elders. You always honor people, especially your family, especially those who are your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents. Honor is imperative from this mindset. Right and wrong isn't so much as important. You want to make sure that you are showing proper respect. This is why even in Japan they bow at people. That's very common. Even among, even among our Korean friends, they will bow at folks. You are showing honor and respect. To dishonor your family 
what is, is terrible to bring, bring disregard to the family name would be shameful. This is why China, you know, they recently loosened their one child, um, uh, one child rule there, but this is why typically baby girls um, would be aborted because they wanted or abandoned because they wanted to maintain the family name through the lineage of a male. Because if you only get one child, you want to have a boy so your family legacy continues down the line. You want to make sure that is, that is known. So it's when you, when you talk to someone, I'll give you all perfect, a perfect example of this. Uh, behind our house, this was about three years ago, we have a family from Japan. And one day, I think like Elizabeth, or the children here were in the backyard playing. This was back in the middle of the summer when it's nice and warm outside and you could play outside. Right now you can't play outside because it's, it's too cold. And it's snowing everywhere. And it's been like that for five weeks. But one day when it warms up here in this city, you'll be able to go outside and you can talk to your neighbors again. And I remember talking to this lady, and I was inviting her to church. And she spoke broken English. And she, um, I was inviting her to church, and she shook her head, yes, yes, I want to come to church. And, and it was about the time VBS was coming up, and she had some children, so I gave her a VBS invite card, and I said, ma'am, here's a little VBS invite card. I want to invite your children. You know, it starts in a couple weeks. We'd love to have you all come to VBS. Listen, if y'all even need a ride, I'll come pick you up. Yes, sir, Mr. Dan, we will come. We'll, and, and she's just being respectful. She said yes to everything. Did she come to Broadway Baptist? <coughs> no. Did she come to VBS? No. Because to her, <coughs> being respectful to an invitation is more important than giving an honest answer. It doesn't matter if she shows up. She wants to just honor me. I'll give you all another example. Now, this just happened about four or five months ago here in our church. Someone in our church, I'm proud of some of our church folks, they're really evangelistic and they invite their neighbors to church here. Hinduism has this honor-shame uh, mindset as well. They're uh, folks from India. Well, these, some of our church folks here had some people from India move in uh, just like, I think right directly across the street, and they went and met, met their new neighbors. And they invited them to Broadway Baptist Church. Well, it's very common. In that culture, they, I think they, they were fairly new here, so they might not have been here in the U.S. very long. They just thought it was the respectful thing to do. Our neighbors have invited us to a place of worship on Sunday. This just is what folks do here in Lexington. So they came. And they were polite to the... They sat on the back pew. They said that was their very first time ever to come to a Christian church. They had never heard the gospel. They were Hindus. They were coming here because they were paying their respects for that invitation. Now, I don't know if they fully understood it, everything going on and even what I was talking about, but the fact is, a seed was planted right there. They heard about Jesus. They came here and worshiped. That is honor, shame. A lot of times when you meet someone from the East and you invite them or you're witness to them out of nice respect, they will show appreciation. 
They might not follow through, but they are going to be very kind to you for that. All right, that is an Eastern worldview. We don't think that way. We don't live in an honor-shame. We live in an honor-shame. These two people right here on the front pew. All right, I won't finish that sentence. We live in a right and wrong culture. I have it up here. The Western worldview, this is us. This is right and wrong. Right and wrong means ten commandments. Thou shall not kill. Thou shall not steal. Honor your father and your mother. That is what the Ten Commandments, it gives us very clear examples of what is right and wrong. Very black and white. That's why it's so important for us for telling the truth. For doing the right thing. That's why at church, you're hearing about what is sinful and wrong. That's also, I want to tell you, one of the problems with the prosperity gospel, one of the attacks on it, the history of Christian preaching is preaching against sin. 2,000 years, preachers stand in pulpit and say, you need to, just like John the Baptist this morning, repent and turn away from your sin and turn to the Lord. That is the Christian message right there. The prosperity gospel is one, what's dangerous about it for us, is it shifting away from that. Now there might be some of that, but so much of it is focused on what makes you feel good, what makes you happy, what makes you fulfilled, what gives you happiness and joy in your life. How can you live your best life now? Folks, there's danger in that because you're switching into a East, that Eastern worldview of searching within, finding I need to find happiness. I need to find joy with myself. And the Bible's saying you can't do it. You can't find this joy in yourself. It's only found in the Lord. And it's only found from turning from your sin and turning to Jesus. This is so important. This is why you want to teach children and grandchildren right and wrong. This is why it's important that people come to Sunday school and they come to VBS and they come and learn how to live for the Lord versus and come to youth group against living for the world. There's a right and there's a wrong way to do it. That there is what we see here in this scripture we just read about this new birth, this living hope. It's found in Jesus. You're no longer enslaved to sin. You're no longer bound in this bondage. You are now set free and set apart. Those are the different worldviews with that. So then we move along here to Islam. That's, that's Buddhism. Buddhism, the answer is found within. The Christian response is you can't get saved from within. You're going to only be able to get saved by what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. All right, what about Islam? Islam's a little trickier for us. Islam is something you will, you will probably meet Muslims. You will probably meet people 
who adhere to the teachings of Muhammad and who read the Quran. In fact, I mean, just this morning's newspaper, just to show you how prevalent Islam is. Now, this is in this morning's newspaper. This past Thursday, a little after midnight in Syria, Syria is a Muslim nation in the Middle East. There was an attack by 50 U.S. commandos. They went into Syria and they attacked and killed the leader of ISIS. That's the Islamic State. Apparently, I didn't realize this, but ISIS has been on the rise. They've been growing again. They've been rebuilding their forces there in Iraq, in Syria. And we had 50 of our troops go in and kill Al-Kushurai. Anyway, I'll, I'll use extend forgiveness on the pronunciation of their name. Al-Kushurai, he was killed. He actually blew himself up with a bomb right before um, U.S. commanders uh, got him. He had, unfortunately, children all around him when he did that. But they did this because there is a group of Muslims in this country that's trying to rebuild a caliphate, trying to make the world Muslim. That is their goal in conquering this. And this is in the news. So people, even non-religious people, will read articles such as this in a secular newspaper, and they're actually learning about Islam when you read about this. It's talking. And they're doing this in the name, as they would say, Allah. Allah is the Arabic name for God. So when they say Allah, they are referencing God. Muhammad is whom he claims to be a prophet, and he spoke the words and wrote the words in a book called the Quran for, according to him, Allah. That is, that is the foundations, that is the foundation of Islam. Muhammad, who's considered the prophet, Allah, who is their name for God, and the Quran, which is their religious book. If you know those three things, you have a grasp on the root of what Islam is. Islam is an evangelistic religion, meaning they seek to advance and to witness. They will build mosque. They will build mosque here in Lexington. They will constantly be aggressive. Do you know when I was doing research for this, I was listening to a, uh, uh, one of these um, debates about Christianity versus Islam. They buy commercials on YouTube fundraising for their mosque. I mean, in New York City, like, we're, I'm getting ads because I guess I searched Islam on YouTube and I'm getting ads on how they're fundraising to help pay to build, put an elevator in in a mosque there in, in somewhere in New York City. But they are. They are aggressive in what, in what they seek to accomplish. But there's some differences with Allah and the Islamic God and the God of the Bible. There's some massive differences. Muhammad rejected Jesus' death on the cross. Muhammad rejected Jesus' resurrection. Muhammad wrote in the Quran and claims that Jesus was a, 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 another prophet such as Abraham. He's a good man. He had some good teachings. But what the Bible says about him, they would claim, is corrupted. They would not say the Bible is true. They would say the Quran is true. And you just see glimpses 
of, of, of maybe truth mixed in with corruption in the Bible. That's what they would say. But the doctrine of God is what separates Christianity and Islam. A Muslim would look at us and say, you worship three gods. They say, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They would say, you believe in a trinity, which is three gods. And then they would claim they would believe in only one God, whom they call Allah. And that is not true. We do not worship three gods. The trinity is God choosing, by his own design, to reveal himself to us in three different persons. Then that is God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus, as well as God the Holy Spirit. As we saw this morning, when you get saved, John the Baptist told us, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. When someone surrenders their life to Christ, actually what happens, the Holy Spirit comes inside and makes his home. So we don't worship three gods, we only worship one God. This doctrine is huge in what separates us from, from them. <clears throat> What's also important about understanding Christianity versus Islam is the resurrection. And that's where we come to the book of John. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. The resurrection is important because it was Jesus who says, I am the resurrection. He came back to life so we can have life. You can go to Mecca and see where Muhammad's buried. He's in a tomb somewhere over there in Saudi Arabia. We cannot visit Jesus' tomb. It's empty. You can go see the location outside Jerusalem, but there's nothing there. It's a tourist attraction. But you can actually go see where Muhammad is buried. Look what Jesus says here. This is so important in understanding what separ separates us from our Muslim friends. And when you meet a Muslim, it's important that we understand these, this difference here. Because they do not believe Jesus was resurrected. When Jesus arrived, so I'm in John chapter 11, verse 17. In your Bibles, this is the story of about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And it says, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You know, I think, Mary, I think Martha probably said that somewhat out of anger. She's like, you know, we sent you a message several days ago that you need to get over here ASAP. It's kind of like a slow ambulance. We just had an ambulance go by. So that's a slow poke ambulance. He's just not getting here fast enough. It's like if your house is on fire and you call the fireman and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're just watching the house burn down. Where are they? That's kind of what Martha felt like. says, my brother's dying, and I know Jesus can heal him. But I want you all to know something. Martha had this desire 
that we've got to reach my brother before he dies. Because of death is final. And that's her thinking. It ended with death, but not with Jesus. And I want to tell you, that same desire that Mary and Martha had for their brother, we need to have that same passion for unsaved people around us. Do you know of someone who's lost? Do you have the same attitude? If only I can reach them for the good news. Folks, people who die without Jesus, all these different religions I've talked about, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam, any of those faiths, that's like two-thirds of the world, by the way, I just named. Those five, four religions. Those people who die without Christ are going to hell. They are spiritually dead. And it's, it's, it's easy for us to say, I don't care about those religions. I don't want to learn about Hinduism and Islam and Buddhism. I want to hear a message about Jesus. But if Jesus is, was here today, and He is, He loves these people. He died for their, these people. And they have been deceived. Muhammad spewed lies. He shared lies. And he, he, the devil used him to deceive the world. That statement I just made, do you know, there are some parts of the world, Joey, what I just said, I would be killed. Killed. If I was in Saudi Arabia and I was pastoring a church there, and I stated that, that Muhammad was of the devil, uh, my, my house, my car, it would blow up within a week. There would be consequences for that. We forget that these people who are not born-again believers, Jesus loves them. He wants to see them saved. He died for them on the cross. And it's easy for us to read this story. And we relate to Martha because she was frustrated because Jesus was slow. I bet God is frustrated with us because we've quit praying for lost people. We've quit. We've just given up. That Muslim friend you work with or you go to school with, you just don't speak to me more. I want to tell you all a perfect example. I want to tell you why Buddhism has built my heart. One of the Chinese places we go to, and it's one of Elizabeth's friends, and it's not far from here. I'll tell you where it's at. It's in the Kroger Shopping Center where Junior works. You go in there. You walk in this Chinese place. The people are nice. They are kind. Their kids go to Jesse Clark Middle School. You walk in, folks, and on the right, there's a statue of Buddha. They're Buddhist. They're lost. They're not saved. They're the nicest people in the world. They're kind. They're generous. They make good Chinese food. But they are not going to heaven. They do not believe in Jesus. And they go to... They are, in, they are in the same school district that this church is in. And that is a child 
that's in a home that is not learning about the Lord. And Jesus looks at us, and Martha here is so upset, and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. God's looking at me and saying, Daniel, are you praying for that child? Are you praying for that family? Are you giving them a gospel track? Last time I got Chinese there, I actually brought them a Billy Graham gospel track, gave it to them. I was convicted over it. I hope you ask God for the same type of conviction. Remember, like I shared this morning, there's a difference between belief and conviction. Belief can change because the new beliefs can come along. Conviction is our DNA. It's our core. It's how we live. It's not wishy-washy. Keep going here in your Bible. We've got to wrap this one up. Verse 21. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. I love what she does. She kind of cuts them down, and then she backtracks a little bit. Said, so, you know, Jesus, if you had been here, you wouldn't have died. But I just know, by the way. It's always like when you say something negative, you want to follow up with a positive right away. And that's what she did with Jesus. As if she's fooling him. If you had been here. Jesus answers her, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, look at this statement. This is what separates us from every other religion in the world. This is what, makes, this is what gives us hope. This is why we know Jesus is alive. This is why we have the assurance that we, we are waiting on today, we're waiting on Jesus to come back. We have confidence we're going to be with him. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. There it is. He said, I am the resurrection life. I give life. I am the resurrection. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Do you know, that mindset, resurrection, that goes against Buddhism and Islam right there. They can't say that. The Buddhist is trying to break away from this cycle of suffering and not keep having this rebirth of, of pain and misery. The Muslim, they have no assurance of salvation. It's totally dependent, according to them, on Allah. This statement here, Jesus is saying, even if you die, you still live. So death does not complete you. Death is not the victor. Death is not your end. This is why it's so important, every single funeral service, this message should be, should be proclaimed. The, the, the body, the urn, that is not the end. Jesus is saying, you might have died, but you're still alive. Remember, humans are created in the image of God. They're different from all other creation. They were given a soul that lives on. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he looks at Martha and he says, do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? Do you really believe that people who believe in me will live? Because your brother right there, he's four days dead, but I don't think he's dead. I don't think Lazarus is dead at all. In fact, you, you need to believe in me. And, and, and she said, verse 27, Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. She placed her faith. 
in Jesus. Martha was learning that Jesus is our resurrection. So, wrapping all this up, how do we reconcile? How do we witness? How do we live among all these different world religions? First of all, we can't be scared of them. Listen, a Buddhist, a Muslim, a backsliding Baptist, and just the everyday atheist here in Lexington, there's something all in common with them. They're just lost. Lost. They don't know the Lord. They might be a member of a church. They might be a member of a temple somewhere. Or they just they watch Netflix all day. Whatever they do. doesn't matter. They're spiritually lost. Jesus is their only hope. And we have to view them that way. You can't view them as an enemy. You just have to view this is a soul who needs Jesus. Christians and Muslims here, on your little handout, we do not worship the same God. The God we worship is the Father of Jesus. That is not the God of, uh, of Muhammad. They have rejected Jesus as the Son of God. They have rejected Jesus dying on the cross, and they've rejected the resurrection. Therefore, they are not praying. When they talk about Allah, they are not talking about the God in the Bible. So, we, we can't lump these two together. Now, our Jewish friends, the God they worship is the same God we worship. Christianity came out of Judaism. But listen, Jewish people, if they have rejected Jesus as the Messiah, they are not saved. That is why it's so important, why I preached on this morning, when John the Baptist says, don't show up and say, we're children of Abraham. Just because you're Jewish and you've got the right God doesn't mean you worship Him in spirit and truth. Because they don't. They did not repent. They've rejected the Messiah. But that is the same God. Muslims do not worship our God. <clears throat> so the answering the question, is the God of Muhammad the Father of Jesus? The God of Muhammad the Father of Jesus. Do you know a Muslim would answer that question, yes? A Bible-believing Christian would answer that question, no. It's not. We're not the same one. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus said later on here in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is our message. That is what we proclaim this evening, we hang on those words. We pray for uh, gospel opportunities. People of all different walks of faith that we can be a witness. We can, we can boldly share our faith. We can give out gospel tracts. We can invite them to church. We should never be afraid of lost people. If Jesus loves them, we love them. If Jesus wants to see them saved and baptized, we want to see them saved and baptized. So I'm going to close this in prayer. And the way I'm going to pray for us tonight, I'm going to actually going to pray for all of you to receive a witnessing opportunity this week. This week, God, we're going to ask that He put someone in your path that you can tell, a lost person, not a saved person, a lost person, that you can actually tell about Jesus. So let's bow our heads and we're going to pray for this. With every head bowed and every eye closed, God, we come to you and we ask 
that you, here in the beginning of February, you bring a lost person, maybe a person from a different religion or somebody who's dropped out of church or somebody who doesn't believe in you, whatever their background is, they're just lost. Lord, you put someone in our life this week that we can share the good news. We can tell them what you told Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Lord, that is hope for us. Even when someone dies, they still live because of you. Lord, I pray for each and every one of the people here. I even pray for the people listening online that they also will receive a witnessing opportunity. Lord, we especially pray for these two groups we were talking about tonight, our Muslim and our Buddhist friends. They're all around us. And we pray that they will experience personal revival. Lord, we pray our church is fervent in prayer for the lost and bold in our soul winning for people who don't know You. Lord, I just pray You use this message and convict us and help us be obedient this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. David, we're going to close in our song of invitation. I want you to respond to the gospel. God's placed something on your heart. If you want to make a decision tonight, I stand up front and you can respond to the good news. So let's stand together. We're going to stand up. David's going to lead us in our song. I've decided to follow Jesus.